I'm David Porter, author of Five Minutes to Live. Just a few things to note about the podcast. First, if you want to purchase Five Minutes to Live, the link is in the description of the podcast, but can be purchased online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and even at Walmart and Target online. I've also listed my Facebook and Twitter links. I'd love to hear from you, especially if you're enjoying the book. In this series, we're going to read through Five Minutes to Live, chapter by chapter, releasing a new chapter each week. If you didn't start with Episode 1, the prologue, please go back and start there. Please subscribe and hit the alert notification, whatever that looks like on your preferred podcast platform. That way you'll know when the new episodes are released. And if you're enjoying this journey, please, please, please share this podcast with your friends and family. Five Minutes to Live has a lot of footnotes for the research done and the Bible verses quoted. I'll post those footnotes in the description of each episode. Finally, I've got a new book on the way titled 60 Seconds of Silence that I am really excited about. Once that book is available, I'll go back and post that link in each episode's description as well. With that, thank you for being here. Let's get started. As I have alluded to in other chapters, I am from Alabama. And because of that, I do one accent really well. It's that southern accent. Um, in this chapter, we have some, some people with speech impediments. I don't want to give too much away before we get into it, but there's some heavily accented people. I could try and do it for you guys, but how about I just read it so that you can understand what they're saying, because this is an important chapter. So with that, let's get into it. Chapter 17. It had been a rough start to meeting Omar Abdul, the man Jessica had supposedly worked closely with. Once the initial shock and fear had subsided, once I choked down the donut I was fighting with, I was able to recover enough to shake his hand. The man was solidly built, not like a weightlifter, but like someone who did manual labor for a living. He didn't look imposing, but that grip was a deathlock. I guess it came from years and years of turning wrenches or building machinery or doing something with his hands. He was not a very impressive figure, but his grip was. After a few minutes of generalized explanation about Jessica's disappearance with very few details, Omar had volunteered to show me where he and Jessica had worked together. He didn't seem sinister in any way, but with the events leading up to my introduction to the new Omar, I kept my guard up. Omar was a scholarly-looking gentleman who I guessed was around 55 years old. He had thinning hair but a long, full black beard. He was wearing dark blue jeans and an olive green, short-sleeved, button-up shirt that had three pins in the pocket. He had an infectious smile and an incredibly thick accent that took me a moment to process each time he spoke. It was obvious to me that English wasn't his first language. His diction was so bad I honestly wished I had someone there adding subtitles across his chest so I could follow his side of the conversation easier. He also wore hearing aids in both ears. I began to notice that every time I spoke, he looked at my mouth. He must have been reading my lips as much as listening to me. Sensing it might help, 
I did my best to speak clearly and with more volume than normal. We had gone through a door behind Rachel's desk and into an exceptionally large industrial warehouse that had enormous amounts of activity. For all I could tell, they might have been building cargo ships in that expanse of space. We walked up a flight of stairs to get to Omar's workshop. Are you familiar with magnetic resonance imaging, Mr. Davenport? Omar asked as we entered his workshop, a 30-foot by 30-foot room that looked like it was half chemistry lab and half mechanics chop shop. One half of the room had sanitary gloves, beakers, and chemicals, while the other side had machinery and greasy tools. It was quite an unusual combination. The workshop had a wall of windows that overlooked the warehouse area. Magnetic resonance imaging? I asked. It sounds familiar, but I don't remember from where. Omar smiled knowingly. Mr. Davenport, have you ever had an injury like a ligament or muscle tear? Uh, sure, I said, not knowing exactly where this line of questioning was going. In college, I blew my knee out, MCL, playing pickup basketball, had to have surgery, all that. Why? When you went to your doctor, what did he do? Omar asked, pointing to a seat beside his desk, inviting me to sit. It was an interesting seating arrangement. His desk was placed against the wall, overlooking the workshop, so when he sat down and moved his chair under his desk to work, he could look out over the factory workers. But that left an awkward placement for a visitor's chair. I sat down in the chair with my back against the wall and my right arm resting on his desk. Puzzled, I sat down and answered about the doctor's visit. I remember him intentionally trying to hurt me. <laughs> Chuckling to myself, I continued the thought. He twisted, pulled, rubbed, popped, moved my knee in all types of painful ways. Then it seems like I had to make my way to the basement of the hospital where we did some x-rays or something to see the extent of the damage. Omar nodded the whole time. He said, Mr. Davenport. I interrupted and said, please call me Matt. Omar smiled and continued, Matt, an x-ray would only reveal if a bone was broken, not if a muscle or ligament was torn. To know that more precisely, you would need to have an MRI done. Oh yeah, that, that's right. I did have an MRI done on my knee. I said, feeling foolish I hadn't remembered. Tell me about it, Omar said. Still unsure of the line of questioning, I paused for a minute and just looked at Omar. He must have sensed my hesitation and said, Bear with me. I'll explain my logic momentarily. Okay, sure. I'm uh, doing my MRI. Let's see. I went into the office and they made me take off all my clothes and put on a hospital gown. They asked me if I was wearing any metal, a watch, a wedding ring, etc. And wanted to make sure I didn't have a pacemaker. Something to do with magnets in the machine. Hmm. Then I went into a room that had this big, square, plastic-looking machine in it, colored in shades of cream and white. The machine had a hole right in the middle with a place where I laid down. The technician came over, adjusted things until he was satisfied I was in the correct position, and then gave me some heavy-duty headphones. He told me to remain completely still and that I wouldn't feel a thing. He was right. I didn't feel anything. Great. Omar said. What do you remember about the actual process? 
I remember trying not to move. At one point, I needed to sneeze, but I had to hold it in so I wouldn't mess up the test. The other thing I remember is how loud the process was. Even with the headphones on, it sounded like two jackhammer armies going to war with each other in that machine. Omar smiled and held up both hands, index fingers pointing to the hearing aids in his ears. Exactly, my friend. This is what a lifetime of working with MRI machines without protection will do to you. I was genuinely beginning to like Omar, which made this all the more tricky. Nuria had warned me, don't trust Omar. But who was she referring to? I asked, can you tell me a little bit about what you and Jessica were working on? I'm trying to piece together what happened, and to do that, I think I need to know why it happened. I think something she was working on has gotten her in trouble with some bad people. Omar nodded and asked, How did you find me? What brought you to my workshop? It was a fair question, so I answered. I went to Jessica's lab, Laboratory Nadavia, to speak with her boss, Dr. Eli Kaplan. Do you know him? Omar shook his head in response. Not really. We've met on occasion, but that's it. No big deal. Anyway, Dr. Kaplan wasn't there, but I spent time with Jessica's assistant, Nuria. And she told me to come here to Moho Magnetic Machines, but she didn't tell me who I should speak with. I, I didn't think to ask. I wanted to add, I didn't think to ask her who I should talk to because she was dying in my arms at the time. My answer must have satisfied Omar enough that he began explaining exactly what he and Jessica had been working on. He began by asking me yet another question. One last question. Did Rachel... My receptionist downstairs explained to you about Andrzej Mohorovich. Yes, actually she did, I replied. She said Moho was the, how did she put it, the father of seismology? But I don't understand what seismology and MRI machines have to do with anything. Okay, Matt, let's start at the beginning, Omar said. And then the phone on his desk rang. It was so loud, it nearly knocked me out of my seat. Again, Omar smiled and pointed to his hearing aids. It has to be that loud, or I would never be able to hear it. I had the phone receiver specially made to amplify the sound, too. You would probably be able to hear that side of the conversation at the bottom of the stairs, he said with a big grin on his face. Omar pressed a button on the phone, and the ringing quit immediately. He said, they can leave me a message. The beginning, he started again. Andreja Mohorovich was a scientist back around 1900. He was born and raised in Croatia, a part of Eastern Europe that had a lot of seismic activity. He was a brilliant meteorologist, had degrees in mathematics and physics, but he was always learning. In 1908, he acquired some seismic equipment for the university where he was teaching, and in 1909, there was an earthquake nearby. He began to study the effects of these earthquakes. He knew that earthquakes traveled in waves, seismic waves, but what he was able to determine was that these seismic waves acted just like light or sound waves. Omar grinned a big smile and then just sat there. After a few seconds, I said, I'm sorry, 
I don't understand what any of that means. You'll need to keep explaining, please. Omar laughed and said, Ah, I'm sorry. I forget sometimes that not everyone has the same science background. Then continued with his explanation. Seismic waves act and react just like sound or light waves. It will be most easy to explain it like this. He opened a desk drawer and started rooting around inside. That was the first time I noticed the monitor sitting on his desk. The monitor was for the security cameras outside. I had noticed the one camera above the door when I arrived at the facility, the one Rachel monitored and used to buzz me in the building. On the screen, I saw there were four different camera angles divided across the screen, one camera view for each corner. There was one camera above the door, two cameras on each end of the parking lot, and one camera that I determined must be located at the back of the building, overlooking a large loading and unloading bay area. I turned my attention back to Omar as he finally found the tools he was looking for and began again. We know that light travels in waves. He turned on a flashlight and pointed it at the desk. Here, you see? All the waves are hitting the desk at the same moment, right? I nodded. Okay. He said, it looks like white light, but it is really made of different light on the spectrum. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, and so on. They all combine together to give us white light. White light is a combination of all the different colors of light. I interrupted with, Roy G. Biv. But Omar looked confused. So I said, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, Roy G. Biv. No? Nothing? N never mind. Sorry. Please continue. Omar said, white light is hitting the desk. But if we place a prism on the desk and shine the light through it, what happens? With that, he placed a prism on the desk and shone the light through it. A small rainbow appeared, refracted through the prism. I said, we get all the colors of the rainbow. Omar nodded and asked, why? I just shrugged my shoulders. Because science. It seemed like a perfectly logical answer. Omar laughed and said, yes, but let's be a little more specific. When the light waves hit the prism, they are refracted at different speeds. Some have faster or technically smaller wavelengths and some have slower, that being larger wavelengths. The different colors of light travel at different speeds after passing through the prism. Are you following? I nodded and Omar continued. When the light hit a different material, the waves changed, and when the wavelengths changed, the colors were separated. Andreja Mohorovich realized that seismic waves react the same way. When seismic waves hit different material, they change wavelengths, just like the light did in our prism. Okay, I said. So when seismic waves travel through land, they travel at one speed, and when they hit water, they change speeds. Is that it? Omar nodded. In a very, very simplified way, yes. But think of it like this. As the seismic waves pass through any material, they change speeds. So we have land that contains granite, limestone, sandstone, volcanic rock, and so on. The waves travel at one speed through granite. 
at a different speed through limestone, then through sandstone at another speed. It's not just solids and liquids. It's each and every material. You following? I nodded. Now, he said, let's go back to the MRI machines. MRI machines and seismology are built on some of the same scientific principles. Just like our prism changes the wavelength of the light passing through it, and seismic waves are changed as they pass through different geological material, MRI wavelengths are also changed as they travel through different substances in your body, like fat tissue, bone, or muscle. I think I'm following you, I said. Omar nodded, paused a minute to think, and said, Imagine it like this. He picked up the flashlight and prism again. He continued, The flashlight is the MRI machine and the prism is your knee. Smiling, he imitated a banging noise like one of the machines would make and turned on the flashlight. He again shined the light into the prism and the light was refracted, producing a rainbow. He said, The MRI machine sends a signal using magnets making those loud banging noises through your knee, and then another portion of the machine reads the resulting wavelengths. The blue color, he said, pointing at the reflected light, might be fat tissue. The green color, he said, changing where he was pointing, might be muscle. The red might be bone. Each of the wavelengths represents a different type of material. Okay, I'm getting it. The MRI readings are affected by the different substances in our body. Bone shifts the patterns differently than muscle. Muscle shifts the patterns differently than fat. One part of the machine produces the wave, and the other part of the machine reads the resulting wave, I said. Well done, Omar was beaming. Hence the name Magnetic Resonance Imaging. We use magnetic resonance to produce an image. We... Jessica and I and our team have started calling it pinging. Pinging? I asked, suddenly confused again. Oh, yes, that's another good way to explain the concept. Have you ever watched a submarine movie? When a ship and a submarine are trying to destroy one another, the ship sends out a pinging noise through the water. It's actually called sonar, but the way they represent it in the movies is with a pinging sound. The sound is reflected off the seafloor unless it hits something before then, like a submarine. By pinging the water, the boat hopes to locate the submarine. Do you follow so far? I nodded. Omar continued, MRI machines ping between two magnets and chart the differences they encounter, very similar to when a ship pings between the ship's bottom and the seafloor, looking for differences they encounter. That makes sense. He said one last thing. In an MRI machine, the magnetic waves are produced by radio signals and hydrogen molecules. Because I'm trying to keep this simple for you, we don't need all of the details. Just know that the radio signals and hydrogen molecules are important parts of the process as well. It will come into play in the next part I'm going to explain. This is the part that your friend, Dr. Adams, and I have been working on for so long. We got our big break while we were in Russia. Just then, the phone rang, a different sound this time, and I nearly fell out of my seat again. Omar didn't notice the sound, but saw me jump. Your phone is ringing. 
He said, oh, pardon me. That ringtone is Rachel downstairs. I probably need to take that one. There might be someone here to see me or a phone call I need to take. That call a few minutes ago might have been important. Sure thing, I said, turning to look at the phone. My attention was drawn to movement out of the corner of my eye. The security camera monitor on the four screens showed something going on in the area of the back door. It was men, so small they looked like ants, lots of ants approaching the loading bay. That's when it dawned on me. These were the mercenaries in full tactical gear, machine guns swinging as they ran. It was a surprise attack. Their swiftness and coordination were breathtaking. I scanned the other three monitors, but they were empty, save for a single man wanting to be buzzed in the front door. It only took a matter of seconds for me to piece things together. It went something like this. When I arrived at Moho Magnetic Machines, Rachel called upstairs to Omar, who was conveniently running a test. That test gave him time to call his co-conspirators and alert them to my presence. The rest of this was just killing time until the muscle could get here and deal with me. Nuria warned me not to trust Omar. I didn't wait until Omar finished his phone call. I wasn't giving him a chance to explain or to keep me hostage or put that death grip lock on me. I took off. I banged the workshop door open and hit the stairs at almost full speed. I took them three, sometimes four at a time, making my way back towards Rachel's desk. Flinging her door open, I was immediately standing face to face with Aaron. Somehow, he had found me. Again. End of chapter 17. If you're still here, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that reading. If you want to purchase Five Minutes to Live, the link is in the description below, and you can find my Facebook and Twitter links there as well. Drop me a line. Please subscribe and hit the bell so you know when the next chapter is released, and if you're enjoying this, please share it with your friends and family. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.